welcome to the Huntback Country Podcast. Today we are kicking off a brand new series. It's a new month, it's August of 2021, September's coming quick, and all of us will be hunting very soon. But before we did, we wanted to do this roundtable series. So what's happening is this is the first of five episodes that are releasing daily, back to back. In every episode, we have one theme, one question, one topic, but you'll hear from multiple guests. The guests are the same in every episode. There's five guys weighing in each time, but again, we'll hear from each individual on one single topic per episode. Today, we're talking about the final moment mindset. So when a hunt really becomes a hunt, when there's an encounter, when we are entering those final moments before a shot opportunity, what is the mindset at that point? Are guys instinctive? Are they analytical? Are they doing a very specific sequence? Are they only acting on the subconscious? We dive into that and much more, as you'll hear about. We will kick this episode off with an introduction from each guest, so we hear a little bit about these folks and why we chose them. The whole goal for us in choosing these guests was to bring on guys who are very experienced, consistent, and successful hunters, many of which you may have never heard of. Guys that we know personally that aren't in the industry or aren't a hunting celebrity, if you will. And so we'll hear from guys who have different contexts, Some guys hunt out of state a lot. Some guys hunt elk more than deer. Some guys don't hunt any of the above. And even we have a guide who has the opportunity to see many hunters as well as act on his own hunting instincts. So I will dive right in. The first guest we have up today is Jeff Bloomquist. Here we go. The final moment mindset. All right. Well, first up, Jeff, um, glad to have you on the podcast, man. This has been long overdue for sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I mean, I'm excited that it took the episode 400 for Steve to ask me on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're at the bottom of the list. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff and I go back. Gosh, when, I mean, I know, um, Jeff, did you just order something from SNS? Is that how we first kind of yeah, I think that, and you yeah. had just put out pure elevation and you're like, Hey, okay. like, let me know, um, you know, what you think about it. And then I'm afterwards, I gave my two cents and then I was like, Hey, are you hunting here? And then after that, we kind of became yeah friends. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, uh, my wife was over in grad school over there near where Jeff lives. Um, and then, yeah, ended up hooking up and going fishing together do some steelhead fishing. If I remember, right. Yeah. And then and you been... come over and do some salmon fishing every spring. Yeah. Yeah. For a while there. Yeah. That's been, gosh, yeah. 15 a while years ago. ago. <laughs> yeah. A while. <laughs> yeah. So, Jeff, did you grow up in the Northwest then? Yeah. So, uh, born and raised in Washington. Um, and uh, at least growing up, like I was always a rifle hunter. And uh, got I had good mentors from my dad and my uncle. And um, kind of conflicting styles, too, where my un- uncle was more of like the aggressiver aggressor sorry um where he's just like he would just blaze a trail right and like if something walked in front of him he blasted it um and then my dad was more of like the more patient take his time person and so to kind of have that contrasting style was good growing up to learn from um and then from a non-hunting standpoint yeah uh live in washington like i said and financial advisor I help people with retirement planning investments so um i have to wear a suit to work but i'm a country boy at heart and then uh wife and family 
So I've got two little girls that obviously makes it more difficult to go hunting as you get older because you have more responsibilities. But um, hopefully we can talk about that too. It's just like there's definitely a balance there of the family life and having time to do the things that you want to do. Yeah, 100%. It definitely gets trickier. So I would say like all those young people out there, hunt as much as you can. <laughs> I tell Jake and Pat that every day in the office, like you have no idea what you have uh, until you have two kids at home. And then it's just drastically different. Enjoy it now. Hunt every freaking weekend. For sure. So Jeff, what you mentioned about those two contrasting styles is really interesting and almost leads us right into uh, the first topic we're going to talk about for this round table and we're calling it the final moment mindset. And really, you know, Stephen, I came up with these uh, these titles, these concepts to talk about with different folks that are, you know, they're not species specific. They're not necessarily like call it tactics or anything, but it's really like taking guys who have a lot of experience and a lot of success and like breaking down a lot of what's going on between the ears. And so for final moment mindset, you know, we talk about like, when are you going into full-on hunt mode right so you're not just covering country you're not necessarily looking for game like you're in that final moment or at least in the mindset of kind of leading up to that opportunity and just really wanted to hear about that so you mentioned before like being very aggressive versus patient um like are you more analytical more instinctive like just break down like when things get serious when you're approaching a shot opportunity, pursuing an animal, making a stalk, like what is your kind of like mindset throughout that process? And obviously it can be different, different scenarios and feel free to kind of elaborate or clarify there, but we just want to break down like what's going on between the ears when you're in full on hunt mode. Yeah. I think you just got to start off with like the situation, right? Like, are you rifle hunting? Are you bow hunting? Are you in open country? Are you in thick country? Like that situation dictates um, the style, right? At least for me anyway. So if it's more open country, then I'm going to be glassing more, moving slower. Um, well, I move slower to get to the spot where I want to glass. But then if I'm just covering country, like down a trail that I'm not going to see anything, then I'm going to move as quickly as I can. Um, thicker country, like I'm going to be in hunt mode most of the time. Um, one thing that I like to do is hunt by myself. So I'm more of a solo hunter, um, because I feel like your senses are more aware all the time when you're by yourself, right? Um, if you have somebody there, you are worrying about what they're thinking about, what they're doing, where they want to go. Uh, when you're by yourself, like you don't have any distractions, right? So your mind is, is always in the game and I've always had way more success hunting by myself than with somebody else. Um, I guess kind of to the second part of like, are you, am I more analytical or, or instinctive? Um, if it's, if you're talking about the last final seconds, I would say that I'm definitely more instinctive, but it's been because I've learned those instincts over time based on experiences. Mm -hmm. I, if, I feel like if you're trying to be analytical in the last moment, like things happen so fast, you can't be, you can't be thinking about it or overthinking it, I guess. Right. Or you're going to miss that opportunity to draw or to get the shot. Um, 
So you have to be obviously conscious about your decision and movements, but not like overthinking it. It's a fine line, I feel like. And that just comes from experiences, right? Like <laughs> if I told you how many times I failed versus how many times I've been successful, it would be a much higher list on the, uh, the fails list and success, right? But people only see when you actually kill something. They don't see all the times that things went wrong or, um, you know, that type of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel just even having hunted with people that are much more experienced than I am, I can almost observe them like the switch flips. And as you said, like they're going very instinctive, they're fully present. And yes, they're making decisions and analyzing maybe conditions, surroundings, what the animal's doing, et cetera. But it is much more them just like almost fully immersed in that moment. Um, do you have anything where you feel like you, from a mindset or like self-talk perspective, like in those final moments, do you, are you in your head at all? Or are you much more like almost subconscious and just aware of what's going on around you? If that makes sense. Uh, I would say my movements are subconscious until the final second. And then I only remember one thing and that is remember to aim. <laughs> That's a good one. That is a good one to remember. Yeah. It's an easy one to forget. That's all I remember, um, you know, is remember to aim, remember to aim, remember to aim. Cause like you can do it all right. And if you don't remember that last one, uh, the rest of it really doesn't matter. So like, I'm totally like trying to keep it simple, I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? Like don't yeah. have like some process that you're going through because you're going to, you're going to miss the opportunity by trying to figure out the process versus just like, okay, I just got to execute right here. I really like that. I feel that I, I've tried to force too much to happen or think about too many different things versus just, as you said, simplifying it and almost relying on instinct. So that's good for me to hear. I think it's that way with everything in life, right? Honestly, like we try to overcomplicate a lot of things um, and hunting's really no different. It's just like, you just have to, cause you hear like these people and they're like, oh, well, it's so close and blah, blah, blah happened, right? Um, and not to say that doesn't happen to me, it does. But I just feel like sometimes we overcomplicate things versus just keeping it simple. Hmm. That's really good. You mentioned prior um, bow hunting and rifle hunting. How do those two different pursuits play out for you? So, and, and again, you, you know, there can be situations with a rifle where you're within bow range and it feels very much like a bow hunt. But if you were to take a close range encounter in a further encounter, further being whatever you want to outside of bow range, what are the differences there for you? Do you feel like one is almost easier than the other? I was actually having a conversation with someone recently who's primarily a bow hunter. And he always had that idea that, oh, oh, it's with a rifle. You typically have more time. The animal's more unaware. But he found like when he was in those situations that didn't necessarily make it more, it didn't make it easier. It almost like it gave him that opportunity to overthink things because he wasn't so close and so in the moment. Um, so do you have any thoughts on like the differences there of close range encounters versus having more time and more space and more capability with a rifle? Yeah, I would say that uh, obviously growing up as a rifle hunter, when I switched to bow hunting, uh, I treated bow hunting like I treated rifle hunting, meaning that, um, you know, I was like always wanting to glass them and then try to get closer because that's just how I always did it from a rifle standpoint. 
um, and my tactics have changed over the years. I feel like becoming a bow hunter made me a tenfold better hunter overall because you have to cut that distance, right? And you have to learn how, how to cut that distance. So whether it's being sneaky or using the wind or using the terrain or what, whatever it is, um, being a bow hunter, I think, makes you a better hunter overall, at least if you're going to be successful. Because now when I pick up a gun, right, it's like, well, crap, man, all I got to do is see them, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> uh, like, I always joke with my buddies, like, rifle hunting is easy. But then the hard part is, too, is like the seasons that are rifle seasons are typically, it's harder to find them, right? Mm -hmm. So then it comes down to finding them versus um, getting into that, that hunt mode. Um, so I don't know. I don't think I really answered your question there, but I, I feel like that you have to use different tactics for the different weapon choice that you're using. So you're, you got a bow in your hand, you're in the elk woods. Uh, you are, you know, I can't, you got to be batting 75, 80%. Um, just from my guesses, when you leave your state and come to Idaho to hunt elk, you kill one in three or four days. It just seems like every time you're like, Hey, I'm heading to Idaho. Two days later, I get a picture of a dead elk. <laughs> what is your main, like you're in the Elkwoods, bull just bugled or, or you, you know, maybe not even that you just know there's elk in the area. What's kind of your tactic there, you know, to go kill that elk. So it's going to depend upon like what, how many people are there, right? Like if there's a lot of hunters, then I'm going to change my tactic. If there's not very many, then I'll take more time trying to get in there. Um, and, and then I'm going to let the animal also dictate the, the process too. So like if he's bugling and going nuts and I feel like I don't have to call, I would prefer not to and try to sneak in and kill him. Or if he's in an open spot where I can ambush him, then I'll do it that way. Um, if it's going to be more of a, like, uh, you know, where I'm going to have to call then, or that like the, the train doesn't allow it where it's too thick or something like that, or he's bugling once in a while, then, you know, I'm going to, I'll bugle to locate and then move in and then try to either cow call or bugle, depending upon which one I feel like he's reacting more to. Um, and obviously you always got to have the wind, right? Like that's the biggest thing in my opinion is the wind will always, I mean, they can see you, they can hear you, but if they smell you, it's over. So, um, I, I, it's kind of like you have to identify the, the situation first is what I try to do. So if there's not very many people around, I know I'm going to have some time where I can call and get be able to get in and work and where if there's a ton of people around, I'm going to try not to call and move in and try to kill him either by sneaking in or ambushing him or figure out where he's going to go and get in front of him. So I don't do the same thing every time. Yeah. That's, that's kind what, of what I'm I, trying to say. You and I have never yeah. got to hunt together, but uh, that's kind of what I've gathered from you that you're just very willing to use whatever tactic is necessary at that time to get the animal killed. It doesn't absolutely yeah, it doesn't like I'm not to be just calling or just spotting stock or whatever. It's take, you know, you kind of from the outside, from the macro picture, you look at you like identify the situation. Um, like, okay, there's a lot of hunting pressure or it's this time of year in September, the elk aren't talking or later they are talking. And then you kind of identify the situation and then build a tactic and then use that tactic and go kill an elk. For sure. And then I, I think sometimes the way we overlook too is like, what are the other people doing? Right. Mm. Like, are they going deep? Are they hunting close to the road? Um, 
are they bugling like crazy, right? Or, <laughs> um, and then do the opposite, right? Yeah. Like, right. because if you're doing the same thing as them, you're gonna have, probably have the same success as them. Darren, welcome back to the Hunt Backcountry podcast. Thanks for joining us again. I think this is uh, probably the third time. So glad to have you back. Before we dive into uh, talking hunting here, for listeners who maybe didn't catch previous episodes or maybe uh, unfamiliar with who you are, just go ahead and give us kind of a brief history and context. Right on. Mark, Steve, hey, thanks for having me back, guys. It's uh, good to be a repeat offender here on the Hunt Backcountry podcast. <laughs> uh, Love having you on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm the owner of Rent Outdoor Gear. Um, been in the archery industry forever. I, I designed bows for Hoyt Archery Company. Uh, for about 10, 10 years, um, been a professional archer, um, editor for rock slide and Western hunter magazine, uh, field editor, uh, technical editor for Eastman's bow hunting. So been around for a really long time. I'm, I think I'm kind of one of the old guys in, around now. So, um, yeah, you might, might hear some, some stories that some of your listeners, I've never heard of before or something. <laughs> well, yeah, the, you know, the previous episodes we've had you on, we talked one very technical on our tree and another, we talked about your sheep hunts and, uh, you know, with this round table, I'm kind of excited to kind of get in your, get in your head a little bit. Um, you know, that's the goal of this round table series is to take experienced and successful hunters and break things down, not just tactics and strategies, but mindset and things like that. So, for this first one, you know, we're calling it the final moment mindset, and it's really all about anything that you are doing or what's going through your mind when the hunt is truly on, right? So yeah. there's either a stock or a very specific shot opportunity or a pursuit that you're making, but it's when you go from just like looking for an animal to, okay, I'm truly hunting now, things are slowing down, focus is narrowing and all that. Um, and so I just want to break down like for you, and I know a lot of this may be subconscious, but like what, what is going through your mind? What's your strategy mentally in those moments um, when things kind of get towards the culmination of a hunt? And do you feel you're maybe more analytical versus more instinctive? Are you thinking through things very strategically, like anything that goes along those? I tend to go into, you know, autopilot mode you know, when it comes time to shoot, um, for sure. But leading up to that, um, I do try to be methodical and as patient as possible, but I also want to try and take advantage of the first good opportunity that I have to, to take that animal, because the longer that you're within bow range, you know, the higher the probability of something going wrong. So, um, I wouldn't say that I rush things because it's incredibly important to wait for the, you know, a, a really solid opportunity to, to make your move or, you know, whatever. Um, but you've got factors like the wind and that, that can change at any second or, and screw things up. So um, while I'm super patient and methodical and slow, I, I also tend to move as efficiently and quickly as possible and try to try to make things happen. Um, but when it comes down to the shot, that that's, um, something I've spent really a tremendous amount of time refining and, and working 
working over my process over the years. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time as a professional archer, really grooving my shot routine and trying to essentially teach myself to become a robot and shoot, you know, a shot totally subconsciously and just, um, you know, kind of out of my head, just eyes down on the target and things are happening. And that worked awesome for, you know, most situations, you know, I got to be a a really good shot and um, made a lot of great shots in hunting situations. But um, what I found was that in certain situations when things, you know, something developed or things changed or got a little bit um, squirrely during that whole leading up to the shot that sometimes things didn't go my way. And I had to be a little bit more mindful about what was going on rather than just being, you know, in the zone and, and, you know, thinking shot, 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 you know, everything about that shot. So rather than being totally total autopilot, I actually had to kind of back up from that, um, from that shooter, that tournament archer mentality and get back into, um, I don't know. I, I, I made an analogy that it's, it's more like being a quarter, back on the field than, than a kicker because kickers have one thing in mind one thing only and it's kick that ball through the uprights you know and if something goes wrong uh like the opposing coach calls a timeout well the kicker's whole mind game is screwed you know and he can't deal with it you know we've seen that on on tv before they're obviously they know that's coming now so they you know they've they've started thinking about it but you know quarterbacks have the whole view of the field they have to anticipate you know, receivers coming open, see the depth of DBs and, and feel the blitz and all this stuff going on around them and still have anticipation to know when that receiver is going to come open and, you know, let the ball go before they get blasted, you know, or, you know, the defensive back undercuts the receiver or whatever. So they've got this more mindful view of the whole field. Well, the kicker's looking at six inches of turf right in front of that ball going, please, God, don't let me miss. And, so I think what I had to do was get out of that kicker mentality where it was, you know, hey, I'm just shooting that shot and, and you know, that's the only thing that's going to happen. Well, then, you know, something happens and the animal spooks, moves 10 yards or whatever, and you snap out of this trance and be like, well, geez, how far is that? And you're at full draw already and, and have no clue what, you know, time and space was happening right there. And so um, I have a shot routine that, that uh, that I grooved and used as as a mental program in in tournament archery to um, just put me in the exact same frame of mind for every shot. And I what I what I did was added a little piece on the end of that for uh, bow hunting that would help keep me in the moment and keep me more aware of you know keep my eyes wide open and, and my eyes downfield and and um, not get so far into the zone that I was missing out on details and things that were happening and, and stuff like that. Cause I have missed a few opportunities being in that mode over the years. So what's your shot routine now? Just a mental checklist. It, it's not really a checklist. It's just, it, it is in a way, but it's, it's, um, it's basically a saying that, that 
reminds me of certain things in my shot that make my shot solid and good. And each, you know, it's, it's very short and concise, but each little piece of that, you know, reminds me of something. So it, right before I shoot in my head, I'm saying I'm relaxed, strong, and patient. My shot is automatic. I'm calm, focused. And then the piece that I added is, oh, and aware. And that aware piece is, you know, when I write it down, that piece is in capital letters, like eyes wide open. Um, So each piece of that, when I say I'm relaxed, I have spent 15, 20 years or whatever training myself that when I say that, my heart rate comes down, my breathing slows down, tension drains out of my muscles. I mean, it's like Pavlov's dog, man. It, it's, it's crazy how it works. But, and then strong is something that reminds me that I hold hard against the back wall and set up my shot strong. And then, and patient means that I'm going to wait for the shot to break naturally. I'm you know, never going to punch the shot. And then my shot is automatic is just something that reminds me not to rush the process or think about the process is it just happens. You know, as soon as I draw back and anchor, it's, you know, it's on autopilot more or less at that point. And then um, I'm calm, focused, reminds me to pick, you know, that exact spot that I'm looking at and to aim, aim, you know, I'm not aiming consciously with, my bow arm or anything, but I'm looking at that point that I want to hit intensely. And then the aware part just reminds me to um, more or less open my eyes, zoom back a little bit from that target and, and think about, you know, what else is happening around you? You know, how far is, you know, everything else in proximity to that animal in case he spooks a little bit and and jumps into another shooting lane that's, you know, five or seven yards farther or things like that. So, um, but that aware piece was kind of, has been important in probably the last 10 years and really helping my success rate go up on, on those encounters. You know, it was never really, it's never been an issue of being able to shoot well enough, but um, just executing well in those situations has um, escaped me on a few times and it's been uh, extremely frustrating. In a hunting situation, are you consciously running through that and doing that self-talk fully or is, does Absolutely. that become kind of subconscious? Absolutely. Yeah. I will run through that in, in oftentimes several times, you know, if, if it's been a couple of minutes or whatever and the shot, still haven't got there and I'm starting to feel nerved up or whatever. I'll run through that again. I may run through it a couple times in a row. If, if I'm still having a hard time kind of getting calmed down and feeling, you know, um, good about the situation, but it, uh, it has helped me out a great deal in, in just dealing with nerves and, um, gets me in the, <clears throat> in the right frame of mind, I guess you know, for, for my whole shot and just kind of hold, holds things together. If we go back 15, 20 years and you're shooting competitively and it sounds like that's the origins of, of this self-talk and the shot sequence. Was that, I don't know, was that super common back then? Like it, amongst competitors? I don't think so. Um, I, I actually picked up a, um, 
an excellent book from uh, an Olympic rifle shooter um, called With Winning in Mind. It's written by Lanny Basham. And a friend of mine recommended it to me at some point saying, hey, you got to read this. You know, this guy's got really good take on the mental game and all of that. And, and uh, it was eye-opening. And I, I've turned several of my friends onto it and helped other shooters kind of uh, embrace some of the concepts that are in there. But a lot of it has to do with visualization and creating a, a, a consistent mental state before you execute every shot and you know that that helps just center the mind bring it back to you know a consistent starting point and you're going to have better results and then it's almost like a computer running a script at that point you know it's like control alt delete and start over and you know things fire up and, and happen but I had gotten so into that mode that I think eventually, you know, um, some flaws showed up in certain situations, you know, and I, I mentioned like, you know, a, a elk or something spooks and then jumps off, you know, seven yards or darts on another trail or whatever, or, you know, you just get so focused on making a shot that sometimes those details of what's happening around you, um, get a little fuzzy, I guess, you know, when you're, when you have that kind of intense focus. So I had to back it out a little bit. And since then, um, percentage has been really, really, well, pretty much perfect shooting situations. Well, Billy, welcome back to the podcast, man. We had John here uh, a few years ago before Steve and I took an Alaska caribou trip and uh, had a blast with you in that conversation, got some great feedback from it. So excited to get you back on. But in case folks don't know who you are uh, or kind of what your background or experience is, go ahead and give them a little bit of context and, and introduction. Yeah, farm kid from the Midwest, uh, didn't like farming, loved being in nature, started trapping as a kid, started hunting and kind of my dream to live the life of a mountain man and um for prices fell out of the, the trapping world and so i didn't figure i could make a living as a trapper and got into hunting and didn't want to go to college didn't want to stay on the farm so i went to a guide school in montana uh right out of high school always had my eye to go in alaska my grandpa always said there's if you want adventure that's where you need to go there's places where man's never been so that was always kind of my goal since I was just a young kid and, and uh, didn't figure I'd ever be able to hunt there any other way. So I figured if I became a guide, I'd get to go on these adventures and hopefully make a living at it. And so that's pretty much what I've done. And uh, so now I guess it's my 24th year guiding Alaska. Wow. So one thing that's uh, unique and I'm excited to have you as part of this series and get your perspective on is you're a hunter yourself at home, but when you're in Alaska, you are a guide and you're not the hunter, but your perspective as a guide, I'm really curious about as we get into these different topics here for this roundtable. And the first one we're just calling final moment mindset. And so it's all about, you know, what's going on between the ears when you go into full on hunt mode, right? So when things slow down, when your focus narrows, your senses heighten, you know, talk about things like 
being more analytical versus being more instinctive, any sort of mindset. And on a normal basis, I would say self-talk, but for you, maybe this is like literally talking to a client, right? So uh, especially for you, not only being a guide, but being a guide in Alaska, uh, dealing with hunters that are on uh, trips that they've invested a lot of time, money, effort, and energy into. Um, obviously, when things get close to that final moment, when shot opportunities are coming about, I'm sure you've observed a lot and witnessed a lot and had to have been a part of bringing that together. So as we talk about the final moment mindset, uh, where do you go with that? Yeah, first off, um, I guess for me, totally out of the box here, but for me, I have a very strong habit about like a hound dog. First thing a hound dog, when you throw him out of the box, right? He's got to go scratch somewhere and take a poop. So that's usually the case when I'm going on a stock, I always have a bowel movement like necessary. So first off <laughs> is you get that done right away. That is not what you I expected. Wanna, you don't want to get too deep into the thing. You know, you want to, that gives you a little time of clarity, a little time to think, to get go. Um, but as a guide, yeah, the, the biggest thing as a guide that I've learned is take nothing for granted, point out the obvious you know, there's a lot going on through the hunter's mind and, you know, a lot of this stuff for me, you know, let's say if you're hunting, especially like different species, you know, like with a bear, you know, everybody, let's say they hunt whitetails. And so they're used to, um, you know, so you got to know your species first and foremost, a, a hunter is a student of nature. So you've got to be, and all this, it's kind of like, learning to fly an airplane you try to learn a million things at once and, and it just can't happen it's just got to come through experience and so like you know like if we're hunting a bear for example i always just explain to the hunter is like first first foremost probably is i say don't shoot until i tell you but don't feel you have to shoot when i tell you i will tell you when the window for a shot opportunity is closed so anytime you're comfortable then you shoot. Um, you know, I don't want a, a hunter to rush a shot. Um, you know, simple things like going through a creek and, you know, you're sneaking up on whatever it is. Don't lift your foot up all the way out of the water. Just glide your feet in the water. You'll make less noise. So as a guide, it's pointing out the simple things. And I guess to get back, I kind of left off there with let's say for example like a bear moose or almost any alaskan animal they're not as wired as a whitetail that gets pressured so much you know the the whitetail hunter thinks when an animal looks at you you know and sees you you know they're thinking oh he's gonna bolt you know and so then you know they'll oftentimes you know think they need to shoot quickly um so yeah i think any simplify any anything that you can simplify that's the key but as a hunter, maybe from a hunting standpoint, the main thing is, is you got to let instincts kick in. And that's one of those things that, you know, really only becomes honed through experience. Um, I had one client that I, I call them book read hunters. You kind of got to forget what if you're, if you're, if you got this Rolodex, a lot of, a lot of hunters, they have like this Rolodex of things they've read and things they've seen. Well, no scenario is ever exactly alike, you know? So if you try to use these um, scenarios verbatim that particularly secondhand that someone's told you, or if you watched or you've read about, I think that throws you into a jumble more often 
than not. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you just, you got You got to understand that, Hey, my instincts are my most valuable possession here. Not the things that I've read or what somebody's told me. You've got to, you, you use that, but ultimately you just got to kind of go with your gut. Um, yeah. More than anything. Yeah. I think instincts gets, um, you know, refined and informed over time as a hunter has more experience, but do you also feel that maybe if people let go of their preconceived notions and kind of that book read stuff you're talking about, do you think that most folks do have good instincts and it's just a matter of kind of like letting themselves tap into that and trust their uh, decisions and their instincts? Yes. I, I most, most do. Uh, some of my guided clients, not really. <laughs> uh, maybe that's why they're hiring a guide. Like I had one guy, he, he ended up, we got along really good, but for like two days, every time I'd stop, I'd just be kind of looking at the mountains or whatever. And he, he was a high pressure guy from the East coast, you know? And, and um, he's like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? And I'm like, I'm literally thinking nothing, you know? And he's like, so if a sheep was right there, what would we do? It's like, well, is he legal? Is he, you know, is he feeding? Is he, what way is he going? Is he with other, I mean, it's like, dude, you got to stop with these hypothetical questions. You're driving me insane. I mean, I just kind of, kind of went off on him. I'm like, I am literally thinking nothing. I said, I'm just reacting. I'm just walking out here looking for sheep, but he's just, he's in that, modern world where i call them the ceo type where they're trying to control everything and analyzing everything at times you just gotta like let your mind go dormant like if you watch uh, watch an animal like watch a wolf you know he's just kind of trotting around and you know he, he's he's hunting but he's not thinking it's all just automatically you know his, his nose is obviously working and his nose is the ground and he's looking but his mind is just clear, you know, you'll wear yourself out if you're, um, you know, trying to figure things out when absolutely nothing's going on. So the biggest thing is just, and I tell hunters all the time is when you go on a hunt, just go there for the experience and just let it unfold and let your, you know, just keep your mind empty. What it was like top gun. If you think you're dead. You know, that's how they think about fighter pilots. And that's kind of the way it is on that final approach. I mean, yeah, you're weighing, you're, you're constantly weighing, um, um, you're like an accountant, you know, profit loss, you know, what, what are my, what's my best um, um, odds here, but you, you just got to let the mind be quiet. And when you make a decision, you make that decision and you just let it be until the next decision needs to be made. You know, you can't second guess yourself. Charlie, welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast. Excited to have you on today, man. Well, I appreciate the uh, opportunity and thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Steve, I'll, I want to let you kick off uh, an introduction for Charlie. Uh, I haven't met Charlie. I've heard a lot about him from you. And I know that uh, in your hunting journey, if you will, Charlie's played a role in that. So what would you say about Charlie and essentially why did we get him on here for the roundtable? Yeah, uh, and Charlie and I go back um really you know check i don't even know if i've talked to charlie about this but he was definitely like one of my first kind of like mentors guys that i looked up to um in elk hunting because we basically i was one of my best friends the guy that got me into hunting and his older brother hunted with charlie and so we shared an elk camp so when i was i think i was 18 years old you know in the first elk camp charlie was there and charlie was uh i mean 
Charlie, not that much older than me, are you? What do you know? 39, 40? I, yeah, 40. So I think four years 40? older. And I think that was in yeah. 2000, 2002, I think. Yep. Yep. Um, but Charlie was already like very successful elk hunter and very, um, uh, I don't know, very methodical hunter. I would have to say, um, just from what I re- like remember. Um, and then, yeah, we've just stayed in touch over the years. It's been, you know, 18, 19 years ago now. Um, but Charlie's just one of those guys who just goes and gets it done. You know, like it's a uh, very unselfish guy, really willing to help other people out. Um, help them learn and teach and then seems like uh, from the little bit I from what I've paid attention with Charlie it's like the second he's like okay I'm the hunter um, today I'm, you know it's usually later in the season after other people have killed elk in the group he goes out and within like a day or two figures out how to kill a nice bull um, and so obviously he's been doing something right there to be that consistent over all the years um, and uh, yeah I just early on was always asking Charlie bow questions and shooting questions and, and elk calling questions and hunting questions. Charlie helped, helped me set my first bear bait way back when, uh, just been a, a great friend, a great guy to be around. And I'm super excited to have him on here. And, you know, when we were first started talking about doing this next round table that we're doing right now, I wanted to get a few guys on here that, that are very successful guys that just people haven't heard from, you know, on, on multiple podcasts and get some different perspectives. And Charlie's was the top of that list of someone I wanted on here. Awesome. Well, yeah, man, we're, we're excited to hear from you, Charlie, and kind of glean from your experience a bit. And, you know, the, the first kind of topic we wanted to get into, we're calling the final moment mindset. Um, And so the big idea here is obviously on a hunt, there's certain transitions where you go from, maybe looking for animals or just covering country to, you know, maybe it's an encounter. Uh, it's, it's when the hunt really starts, right? So it's when you go from looking to full on hunt mode, uh, your movement's slow, your focus narrows, your senses kind of heighten those last moments before a shot opportunity or leading up to it. And uh, we just want to kind of hear different guys and their thought process in that. Some guys I think are, very analytical. Um, other guys almost shut their mind off and everything's very instinctive. Um, some guys will have, you know, self-talk or like a shooting mantra or something like that. And other guys, it's, it's more of, you know, again, just instinct, um, and acting without necessarily being as methodical, but for you, what does that look like? Um, when do you typically see that transition happen to go into hunt mode and then what's going through your mind and how are you making decisions in those moments? Yeah, Mark, that's a good question. Um, and honestly, like that's kind of where being successful and unsuccessful kind of starts. I think, um, you know, I kind of have, I would say two modes, you know, like I got a hunt mode and then maybe like a kill mode. Um, and I, I would basically say that, I'm kind of both, you know, analytical and instinctive, um, just kind of depending on what the situation is. Um, so like I'll probably revert a lot to more about elk hunting just cause, um, that's probably more of my passion and, um, a little bit more successful in that, but, um, you know, so when the hunt starts for me is, you know, maybe, you know, heading up a ridge, um, 
got up super early and just trying to get up to the top of the ridge and before the sun hit gets up and let out that first bugle and um or that first uh yeah that first bugle and you know if i get a bull to answer me that's kind of like when the the hunt starts for me and then that's when all my thinking starts you know is is it a is it a lone bull is it a bull that has cows um and then i basically kind of that's when the hunt starts for me and then as i get into close as i get into close and i know that the uh it's 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 going to happen that's that's i get it kind of an i get into a kill mode and um basically i'm trying to create an opportunity for me and um just get really focused and um just kind of let my mind take over from there just and then i think that's when the instincts come in there instead of analytical yeah so you said create an opportunity what's kind of going you know a bull's bugling out there at 150 yards what's like an example of how are you creating that opportunity basically when that when i get that bull going um you know i try to figure out if it's uh if it's if it's a lone bull and if he bugles back um i'm trying to figure out if he's a single bull just a lone bull or if he's got a bull with cows and um basically then i get pretty aggressive um and uh get in really close if i can and and just kind of go from there yeah so definitely aggressive as you get inside that 150 yard range yeah one thing that we always talk about like i think i'm like uh when when elk are bugling like i think you have a really good ability to decipher if it's a lone elk or if it's with cows like what are some things that you're hearing um from the sound of that bull and, and the way he's moving that tells you one way or the other your mind just kind of takes over my mind just kind of takes over when i get in close on that bull um and just trying to analyze whether he's going to come up you know and try to create that opportunity as far as you know do you need to sneak in a little bit closer um if he's coming in um basically try to find that shooting lane um if he's got cows then you know you might have to sneak in a little bit and um just be aggressive and that's kind of how i've created a lot of my opportunities and um if, if you can definitely capitalize on those opportunities and that's kind of where that's my kind of my final mindset when a bull is essentially in range or coming into range or you're getting ready to sneak into range especially in this archery elk context as you're coming to full draw or at full draw what's going through your mind then any any particular thing any sort of like mantra or you're literally just picking a spot and kind of on autopilot i'm basically i'm i'm kind of more on autopilot just shooting my bow um over and over and over um just kind of that that memory um as you know i keep my eyes i keep my eyes on the animal pretty much all the time and um and as I come to full draw, you know, I'm not looking at my peep or I'm not looking at um, anything else, but basically the eyes of that animal. Um, and that's because 
that's where the opportunity can fail at that moment. Um, if you're moving, um, and his eyes are, you know, he may have the opportunity to look at you. And that's kind of where I been successful. You know, I've seen guys where, um, they're moving a lot when the bull's coming in or things like that. And, um, that's kind of my mindset, just auto, basically autopilot. And, um, and then from there, just wait for your shot, turn broadside or the spot that you're looking for. So you're doing all the work up front to be super comfortable with your equipment, your bow setup, your shot process and all that. So that in the moment of truth, you don't have to be too conscious. You're just focused on the animal and making that happen. Exactly. Yeah. Um, just spend a lot of time with your, your weapon, your, that that's basically where, um, I've been is just everything is my bow, my bow, shoot, shoot. Um, and then, uh, everything takes over from there and then, and then you can just kind of keep basically your mindset focused and, uh, on that animal that's coming in that you, and then just create that opportunity as far as, you know, if you need to move on them, let down, um, and then all, all the practice you've done, you know, hopefully you can capitalize on that bowl. All right, Steve, on final moment mindset, what just comes to mind for you initially? How do you make that transition? When do you make that transition? What is happening in those moments for you? This is number question number one, because it is the most critical thing in you being a successful hunter or not, right? Like a lot of people can get into animals, you know, bow hunting elk, you get into elk, you have all these close encounters, uh, but being able to consistently you know, finish the hunt, uh, successfully put an arrow through them, put a bullet through them, uh, make a good shot. That's like, this is number one. Um, for me, you know, you've heard me talk on the podcast before of, I kind of go into a hunt, like, do I want this to be a fun hunt? Do I want this to be, you know, is my main and top goal just to kill an animal, whether I'm like going out to get a spike for meat in the freezer, or it's a once in a lifetime trophy hunt. And it's like, okay, time to be focused and and that's kind of like the distinction for me is is like i have i kind of thought about it in this three different modes i have like just completely relaxed right like you're you're driving to the hunt maybe you're um, hiking in in the dark you know where you're going um just like there's completely relaxed mind shut off not really actively hunting and then i kind of have like this focused and ready mode of of um and it, depending on the, like my goal for that hunt is, is how often I'm kind of bouncing between relaxed and then like very focused. Um, so if it's, you know, that I'm just going out with buddies and we're having fun, I'll just, you know, just kind of be relaxed and cracking jokes and having fun and, and, uh, taking our time. And then if it's like, say I'm on a solo hunt and it's like, all right, I got three days to get a mule deer killed on this hunt. Like I'm going to be in that focused mode. 90% of the time, um, you know, even, even at camp in the night, I'll be studying maps and planning out my next day and how, where I want to be glassing and really just kind of going through all the different scenarios in my head. Um, and then obviously I've got, you know, relaxed focused. And then to me, there's kind of like imminent shot mode, right? Like that's the, the 30 to 60 seconds before you squeeze that trigger, shoot your bow, whatever it is. And in that time I do you know, I was trying to think about that. So much of it is, 
you you're you forget the like you forget the last 30 seconds like all of a sudden there's an animal on the ground like what what just happened but the more i kind of went back and thought about it i just over the years i really visualize a lot um if there's an elk coming in he's bugling i'm standing with my bow i'm you know i've got myself into a good shooting position where i've got good shooting lanes but i know i'm gonna be able to draw my bow but as he's coming in my mind is you know this isn't um it's kind of happening subconsciously but it's through experience and and being aware of it you're not just going to do this naturally but i'm just playing out shooting lanes right like okay the elk could step into that lane i'm going to be able to shoot but um i don't if if i'm going to shoot there i need then you're working backwards like when do i got to draw right like okay he's going to go behind this you know little christmas size pine tree and i'm going to be able to draw then and then i'm going to have to hold for 30 seconds until he comes into the shooting lane and then and you're kind of like a quarterback in the situation right like you're making all these reads of these different opportunities that are going to present itself um and so that's like my that kind of imminent shot thing for me is just visualizing all the different ways that this is going to happen and then really when it that final second right i've already come to draw he steps into that shooting lane to me i i you just got to take an extra breath. I mean, early on and and when I started bow hunting, I made a lot of mistakes by basically rushing the shot. And I think if you just take that extra second to just a pause, like take a breath and then squeeze the trigger, uh, you're going to be way, way better off. You always got a little bit more time than you think. Sometimes you truly do need to rush a shot and get it off. Um, but that's, that's very rare. So, you know, give yourself that extra second, pick the spot, squeeze the trigger. Um, and hopefully all the practice you've done up to that point, shooting your weapon, gun or bow, uh, leads you to that, that being pretty instinctual, right? Like leveling the bow, having a good grip. Um, you don't want to have to be thinking about those in, in that heat of the moment shot, but, um, yeah. So for me, uh, in a hunting set, hunting mindset, it's, there's this time where I'm relaxed. There's times when I'm very focused and then depending on how I want that hunt to be, I really like you know, if, like I said, I got my Frank church sheep tag this year, I'm going to be in focused mode 24 right? seven <laughs> at night. I'll, I'll be planning the next day all day long. I won't take naps. I'm going to be glassing. Um, and it's not those types of hunts aren't as fun in the moment. Right. Cause you're very, um, it's just mentally fatiguing. Cause you're just, you're in it all day long, but, uh, in order to be successful on some of those tough hunts, that's what you got to do. And then, uh, yeah, that imminent shot thing is practice routine. And then for me, visualizing, visualizing the shots, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. And then that way for me, a lot of this came from like playing sports. I, um, I had a baseball coach that really preached like visualizing, hitting the ball and things like that. And for me, when they, I've already seen it in my head. So when the opportunity presents itself, it's familiar and, and comfortable. And, you, and then you just execute the shot. Well, that is a wrap for today, guys. But again, this is only part one of a five-part series. Join us for the next episode, episode 296, as we talk about unconventional wisdom and tactics. If you guys haven't yet hit that subscribe or follow button, please do that, and you will receive future episodes automatically. As always, if there's anything we can help you guys with, or if you have a question for us, just send a quick email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. We'll talk to you soon.